Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Taiwan Context. I'm your host, Daniel. You can also call me Daniel. Today, we're lucky enough to have Dr. Sang Pu, who's been highly sought after in all sorts of media, especially in regards to the Hong Kong protests. Doctor, what's your background? Why are you here in Taiwan? And what message do you have for us? I'm both a Hong Konger and a Taiwanese. I studied in the National Taiwan University, and I'm now an active political commentator, as well as a lawyer in Hong Kong. So I'm a qualified lawyer in Taiwan as well. The point that I'm making here is, as a Hong Konger and a Taiwanese, this election of Taiwan is a very, very important moment that the Taiwanese people should, should not miss. And when I comment on different matters over these years, I can say Taiwan is in between the two clashes of values for the authoritarian regime of China and also the democratic regime of the US. Taiwan is the flagship that should be making a brilliant choice between these two. I think for me is that per my past experience of learning law and also uh, commenting on the political matters, participating in certain movements, and also doing some we call civilian diplomacy actions in Canada and the States. What I can say is Taiwan is of key interest of the whole world. Every member of the whole world civilized country are watching Taiwan. Taiwan is not alone and cannot be alone. And how Taiwanese choose will be having an important effect on how China regime will become and also how about the Taiwanese and the Hong Kongers will be enjoying or suffering in the future. So preserve your own right, exercise your own right and make a brilliant choice. So could you share with us what's so important about the context of freedom in terms of Hong Kongers and Taiwanese? Freedom comes at a price. Freedom comes at a cost. Freedom is not free of charge. Freedom is what we need to fight for and there will be some sacrifices. And in Taiwan, there are a lot of very, very good stories of how the past heroes of Taiwan have fight for their own freedom. Like uh, Chen Wencheng, like Zheng Nanrong, and also a lot of different people, they really fight hard for their own freedom. And now Hong Kong youngsters are fight hard, fighting hard for their own freedom. So I think the history of the past of Taiwan when it was in the authoritarian regime is quite similar to what is happening here in Hong Kong, though in a different magnitude and manner. So there are many comparable perspectives that we can put into play. And so I would like to convey the message that for people who are working, working hard to fight for freedom, these two places have certain history and reality that is in common. And then we need to stand together hand in hand against those who want to destroy our freedom and human rights. I think that's the key message. With freedom comes a lot of responsibilities and a lot of misinformation. A lot of Taiwanese people are faced with conflicting information. Do you have any examples in which you could share where Hong Kongers are faced with misinformation and how they should deal with that? I think that's a very fair question. We Hong Kongers will see coach buses that people bring from certain places to that supporting campaign regime forum 
you will see this is similar to what Hong Kongers will see the CCP mobilized efforts have been doing in certain so-called elections in Hong Kong. That's very familiar. That is mobilized by CCP. In November, when there was local elections in Taiwan, you can see a lot of these traces in Kaohsiung and in many other places as well. And nowadays, you can see some traces like this. The other thing is about the fake news. Fake news is also a very important problem in Hong Kong and Taiwan. We know very well that in Taiwan, locally, I think CCP may have implanted certain kind of, uh, kind of centers to create such kind of fake news. Examples like when you vote for Han Guoyu, then that vote will become an invalid vote. Or maybe say, um, so Tsai Ing-wen has been like humiliating the soldiers and they patch different photos together at different times and they mix up the conjure up the story and mix up the whole truth and that's that's been happening in Hong Kong as well like many people will say uh, we are uh, we protesters in Hong Kong are cockroaches and those policemen are really spraying on the cockroaches and they paint it in that way and then focus on certain resistance movement that we have and label it as violence and they do not care about uh, what has happened in the past that is when they are encircled when the people are encircled then you have no way but to fight otherwise you surrender or kneel down but that's not what a human being should be so they will react because they want to resist against this kind of arresting arrest and this arrest is not coming with a civilized manner they're in a very violent manner if you do not resist then you will die so in that manner i think fake news is that they only focus on one second two second thing and then they mix up the whole time and place all together so we need all the people to be focusing on a very important thing like what the Han Guoyu has been saying these days is that the Kaohsiung government in the past when DPP regime is governing Kaohsiung there's a huge bribery problem, corruption problem this kind of scandal has been playing all along these uh, social media that's controlled by the, by the KMT and you know this is not controlled by KMT that's controlled by certain people on the other side of the, the strait, that is uh, the CCP. And then you can see the power is, is outrageous. You can see they, those people are really believing in what they have said. Okay? They believe that there's a huge bribery problem, corruption scandal. But when you dig, a, dig deeper into the reality, what is exactly the corruption? Who, what, when, where? Nothing. That's a blanket kind of accusation against the DPP regime that they have a corruption scandal, but no details. And when they have no details, you know they do what? They say they fight for a special prosecution and investigation group outside of the existing prosecution arm to really do this kind of investigation when Han Guoyu wins the election, when KMT wins the election. This really, really outrageous that's not the rule of law that we have rule of law is that we have the prosecution independently working on its own why we need a special prosecution group that is 
external to the existing prosecution regime. That is really outrageous. If that's the case, they will become a politically controlled kind of group to really pinpoint on certain people to do certain kind of dirty things. And that kind of uh, image is really bad. And they cook up this matter with blanket accusation and they have no evidence to support what they're saying. That's quite similar to what Hong Kong has been facing because many Hong Kongers have been facing this kind of blame all the time. The key blame of CCP against the Hong Kongers is that we collect money. Everyone who is in the rally collect 10,000 Hong Kong dollars. That's around 40,000 Taiwan dollars for rallying in the street. And then you walk and then you shout and you look. Think carefully. If there are around 2 million people in the rally, how much money does it need to get? And will not shock the monetary system of Hong Kong. That monetary influx into Hong Kong will be gorgeous and that will not be having no effect. And that, if that's the case, that is really funny. If you ask deeper, then why the CCP government does not give us money and make us turn away? They can give us $1 more than what the so-called foreign power, external force, gives to us. And then they can chase us away because we all we want, want is money. If that's the case, they can easily cure all the problems. Actually, the reality is that we are not rallying or protesting for money. We are protesting for dignity, freedom, and the way to lead our own life in a very, very meaningful manner. And that's what the youngsters are fighting for. So the fake news have been in Hong Kong and also in uh, Taiwan all the time. We need to be very careful of the influence. What are some thoughts that Taiwanese people should consider when they're faced with conflicting news or possible fake stories? Recently, there's been a lot of stories going around about how there's a sort of green terror coming about. Grandmothers being arrested and taken away for expressing their own opinions. What are some of the ways that Taiwanese can employ to combat fake stories? I think that's very important because in a society of uh, respecting freedom of speech, the freedom will not come in a way that is uh, you can enjoy everything in a kind of freedom. Freedom comes with a responsibility and that responsibility is for you to question and ask rationally when you look into different things. Freedom comes with that responsibility. And this responsibility is to ask the key question as to what how, when, where, why. When you say, oh, I read a newspaper on the first page, say, green terrorism. Grandmother will be arrested, taken away from the home. After the DPP is re-elected, then they will disappear. Green terrorism is a kind of white terrorism. They will see, say something like this, or even worse than the white terrorism. Look. Has it happened before, number one? Number two is that if it has not happened, but it, you say it will happen, what makes you say it will happen? What is the basis that you say, ah, there's some cock-ups by the DPP government or existing ROC regime that they want to arrest some people that is not with their own political tone 
What is the basis of it? And why they need to do it? In a democratic society, they open the election every four years. If they do this, then they will not be elected anymore. Then why do they need to kill this when they are fighting for democracy and progressive movement? Whether you like progressive movement or not, but the key is democracy. They are fighting for it. Many people die for it. When there's a news like this, you believe in that without questioning all these things. Like when I heard what Han Guoyu said today is that there is widespread corruption in this existing regime. So I want to know who, when, where it was. And his question is, we need to establish an extrajudicial body to investigate into what, when, where, when I get elected. This kind of argument does not fly. If you have certain things, even prima facie uh, evidence, show it to us. Or even on an accusation, a kind of, uh, um, kind of conjecture you want to question about the people, then you let us know. But without that, I have no basis to believe in it. But I have every basis to say, in the past history in, of Taiwan, KMT is the source of white terror. And it is undeniable. And even the Mainjo regime admitted that KMT has the fundamental uh, kind of liability in the 228 massacre and also all these post-1980s white terror pressure. And this is undeniable. The worry is that those who have committed falsely but have not been regretting completely will be committing the same offence again and again. This transitional justice is not yet completed. So what we expect is that KMTT should be sorry for the past track record rather than accusing other people for committing what they have done before. And they do not regret what have, they have done before. They do not call this as compensation to those people who are killed by this regime, but they only treat this as a kind of a subsidy to those people, and that's really weird. To me, I think the whole Taiwanese people will need to rethink about rationally about these questions. When, what, and how, and also where, and also why. Why there's such a thing? Why do you need to do this? With this kind of exercise, we can build a more uh, rational well-informed and also very uh, diligent and very brilliant civil society. And without that, that would be a problem. There are some Chinese Communist Party supporters that say that since the recent elections in Hong Kong has favored the protesters, that nobody should need to worry that the system in Hong Kong is actually working very well. What do you say? Uh, that's a good question. We have one 388 seats out of 452 seats. So it is more than 86% if I'm not wrong. The seats of district council. District council is for what? District council is only a consultative body that they can bring advices to the government. But they have no power in the local affairs except for certain very small infrastructure projects. What's the budgeting? for how to allocate the money. But that's not for even for the zoning, even for uh, traffic. 
they have no way to really influence that kind of thing. So this district council only can be a source to build the future generation to get elected into legislative council. But that legislative council only have half of it really directly elected. The other half of it is constituted by so-called functional constituencies. And they are tilted towards certain professional group and the business class. And that's not fair. And of course, that's not universal suffrage. That the lawyers can have one seat, the accountants can have one seat, and also those business people, industry people, they have two, three, four seats in different phase. And this is similar to the, if you read the history in the past of fascist Italy, when Mussolini really ruled Italy, they have this kind of system. So this system is far from satisfactory. So we are fighting for universal, genuine suffrage. One people, one vote, and also the, there's no screening and also uh, of people who get to be the candidates. That's not there in Hong Kong. Many people have their own political stance like pro-independence or pro-autonomy or even pro-self-determination. They are all sacked, disqualified by those uh, election uh, officials. They are not there to be qualified as a candidate for people to choose. And that's the weird thing about Hong Kong. And the CE, chief executive, they are he or she will be responsible for the Chinese regime and the Hong Kong people, but mainly from the Chinese regime, because the power comes from a 1,200 kind of members. And many of these members are controlled by the CCP regime. And those voters for this 1,200 members are only below 300,000 and there are already 7 million people in Hong Kong and that's a really weird uh, system. We want to fight for a change back in 2014. I know in Taiwan there's a sunflower movement, in Hong Kong there's an, an umbrella movement but we failed and after this failure there have been a long long time that we have feel very frustrated and of course effortless. Nowadays we come back because of this anti-extradition movement, fight for freedom movement, then we come back. And what we can say is, the district council, of course we win a lot of seats, that's not helpful, because we will not be really controlling the real political power in order to safeguard our own rights and freedom. Those 388 successful candidates will not be able to do this by playing their, in their own roles unless they step out in the streets and exert a very high pressure on the government and also to stand with the foreign countries to really fight hard against China to really get this done. So you can see that's only the tip of the ice that you can see ah, that's very shining. But when you look deep, you will see Hong Kong has no democracy and that's why our freedom is in huge jeopardy and also we have human rights at stake here because of police violence and that goes on unchecked. That's the problem of Hong Kong. So when you look back at Taiwan, when you have a vote to do it, many people think that they can sit back in the, in the, in the, at home, sit back on their bed, and then they do not want to vote. But the point is, if you don't vote, then people will choose for you. If you do not choose, you'll be nobody because you have not exercised your own election 
right. Election is a legal right, but also a moral responsibility. This moral responsibility is that you are a civilian in a civil society, and then you need to participate and voice out your own way. You can disagree with me, Sampu, from what I've said, but if you do not vote to cast what you want to do, then that's a real tragedy to the own people. I think Taiwan should really respect, preserve what they have, and do not fall into the backdrop of Hong Kong saying that one country, two systems will work. Because the failure of the one country, two systems of Hong Kong is a huge lesson for Taiwan. An authoritarian regime cannot be compatible with a democratic regime. That's not precedented and will not be successful because it's anti the basic instinct of human beings. You cannot pray for a dictator to give you democracy in one of their own gardens. That is really a kind of fantasy more than reality. There's been another kind of angle of attack in that kind of argument, saying that since the Hong Kong system is so different from that of Taiwan, that Hong Kongers don't really have a real democracy, but that Taiwanese people do, that they shouldn't be compared at all. They've been saying that the two aren't really connectable. You can't really have the two as an analogy. I think they are, they are interconnected. I don't think they are not connected. In the Hong Kong, I think the system is different from that in Taiwan, that's for sure. But the point we are talking about is the values, it's not the systems. The systems are different, so what? Do we like the system in Hong Kong? No, so we fight. Fight for what? Fight for the satisfaction and the materialization of certain values, like freedom, human rights, democracy, autonomy, self-determination, whatsoever. Many people have pushed up to independence, but the key is the basic majority of the Hong Kongers are fighting for freedom and democracy. And that's the key. And for Taiwan, you have it. To me, I think that having is true in some sense, but it's in huge jeopardy because the CCP government is infiltrating into every sector in Taiwan to really want to kill this democracy and also play the hegemony of the imperial empire into Taiwan. They think that Taiwan is part of it. Even when I see this PRC flag raising high lofty in uh, the Ximending, I can see that it is very ugly. But the Taiwan government will say that's a matter of freedom of speech, freedom of expression. So they say, let it be. But the point is, this flag, this regime, is different from an American flag. If you have a German flag, you have an American flag, or even you have a fascist flag, of course it's more ugly, right? Those flags do not have a kind of claim against the sovereignty of Taiwan. And this PLC flag is representing a claim of sovereignty of Taiwan by the PRC and CCP regime. That's the common fundamental difference. There's been another kind of angle of attack in that kind of argument, saying that since the Hong Kong system is so different from that of Taiwan, that Hong Kongers don't really have a real democracy, but that Taiwanese people do, that they shouldn't be compared at all. They've been saying that the two 
aren't really connectable. You can't really have the two compared. So what's the worry? The big worry is that the one country, two systems is a lie. You can see in Hong Kong that they have promised a universal suffrage. In their basic law, Article 45, Article 67, the real genuine, they would say, universal suffrage of the chief executive and also universal suffrage of the legislative council and then also except for national security and diplomacy, then the China will have no touch of Hong Kong. They promise, promise, promise. But look, they have some key things in their own basic law. Number one is that there's kind of a national security legislation that is put in play. Second thing is that who is the only interpreter of this basic law or the key final interpreter of this basic law? That is the NPC, National People's Congress. It is the standing committee of this National People's Congress of the CCP will be interpreting this basic law. It is a joke, it is a lie, and then many people will not really see it seriously. Like in Tibet, they, back in the 1950s, there were 17 articles that they put into play. That's similar, and it is also the embryo of this basic law of Hong Kong. When you look at, when you compare the Tibetan basic law, there is the 17 articles, and the basic law of Hong Kong, that's so similar. Everything is a lie in CCP because what they care about is not the rights. What they care about is not the promises. What they care about is the power. If they cannot have the power in their own hands, so they will crush everything anti their own power. So they can promise everything more. Uh, Deng Xiaoping has said many years ago, Taiwan can have your own army, can have your own soldiers. But you know what? The CCP, the Liberation Army, is outnumbering all these Taiwan soldiers. So it is not believable that you can really maintain your own soldiers and then you're very happy about that. And also, the key is about who is in control. That's the key question. When you have one country, two systems, that one country will be in control. What is that one country? It is not what Han Bo Yu said, it's ROC. It is the PRC because their population, their power, everything is falling under their regime. And when you look back at what Xi Jinping has said last year, uh, after the Chinese New Year, is that the one country, two systems is the key thing about the 1992 consensus. That's a very clear message. And they say, it's one country, two system, Taiwan version. That is what he's now really want to convey the message to the Taiwanese that believe in what we said, we'll respect the freedom that you have got. Look at Hong Kong. What kind of freedom do the Hong Kongers have? We are beaten up by those policemen and we are like being sprayed by pepper uh, or kind of chemicals and also being beaten by bastards and also be we have a lot of wounds and also tear gas canisters. They will do whatever they want because power is in their own hands. The CCP of China cares about the power and also how they can tame you to be same as what they tame the mainlanders. So when the Taiwanese do not want to be tamed, do not want to be really controlled, they should fight hard 
and not to believe in this one country, two systems. The whole thing about one country is that for you to believe that the Taiwanese is one of the Chinese and they want to promulgate this kind of nationalism ever since the 1990s. And this nationalism is, of course, not Marxism at all. Marxism does not really promote nationalism. But this nationalism now has become a very, very ugly way to uh, keep CCP in power. There are those that say that Taiwan needs to get closer to China because Taiwan can then become mm -hmm. rich and wealthy by being a gateway, just like Hong Kong has become rich and wealthy by becoming a gateway. What are some of the lessons that one can learn from Hong Kong's current situation? Hong Kong gives a very clear lesson to Taiwan. We are over-relying on the Chinese economy. If you say relying on Chinese economy will boost the Taiwan economy up to a high level. I can tell you in Hong Kong, we have 7 million people, but the turnover of the tourists from, from China is more than this annually. And there are lots of people coming here to buy, shop, eat, drink, whatever, enjoy the thing. They spend money here. Cosmetics, milk powder, gold. They buy all these uh, watches, jewelries, uh, luxury goods. They contribute to the economy in Hong Kong. And you know what? After this uh, movement, they retract. So many people say that there's a fall of this uh, economy, a contraction of the economy. But the point is this. Before this, we over-rely on it, then what? When there's a crisis, you emphasize on one economy, and that economy controls the stomach of the Taiwanese. This will be super dangerous. And this regime is dictatorship, it's a tyranny, it's a very authoritarian regime. They will play hard against the Taiwanese interests. Another angle that you can see is, if we are so satisfied with all these breads and butter, we are very happy. Why we still have this anti-extradition movement? The anti-extradition movement is the Hong Kong movement to fight for freedom. Why we have all these six months non-stop to fight for it? You can ask a lot of protesters in the streets. They have master degree, doctoral degree. They do not need to worry if they just become and then join an investment bank join a law firm, accounting firm, they are very rich. Many of their families are riches as well. They are very happy. But why they need to, to resist against this tyranny? The only reason is that they fight for freedom. It's not fight for money. We all fight for money. We cannot live without money, that's for sure. But when you have freedom and money on your hand, of course, freedom first. With freedom, you can Pursue your, your own way of life suitable to you. Some people do not need money so much, they want to be very successful. Many people really want to become rich, let it be. But without freedom, it's like without air. You'll be suffocating immediately. And that's the choice that we are having. If we do not choose brilliantly, I think Taiwanese will become a kind of uh, animal farm scenario. And this animal farm scenario is now happening in Taiwan. Hong Kong is now waking up. At least 60% people have already awoken. Taiwanese? I don't know. So this election is one way to test the uh, intelligence and also how they preserve values. So wish Taiwan good luck in the elections. While it is true that the Chinese Communist Party tends to have problems facing up 
and honoring its human rights and civil liberties obligations. Some say the opposite is true in the sense that the Democratic Progressive Party's recent passing of the anti-infiltration bill will result in devastating economic losses for Taiwan, making it impossible to do business with Taiwan, especially in regards to China. Of course, this is an overstatement, and actually it's not an overstatement, it's a misstatement for those people. I think those people really think that this will be a fatal kiss uh, about those business in, in China. I don't think that's the case. When you, this is kind of fake news that they are really stirring trouble. Really investigate and look at the law itself. Anti-infiltration law really touches those who really accept the instruction or funding from the CCP regime. And really in to destroy certain kind of rallies and also demonstrations to really get into the political elections for like giving bribes to certain people or even those people are really pushing forward for lobbying certain policy change in Taiwan. So if you have only accept money, you accept the money from the CCP, but you do not really come into play to influence the politics of Taiwan, that will not be heard. That's to me, yet as a genius, because you take every money, but you do, not, you do not do the evil things. So you get all the things you get, but the CCP will be angry at you because they give you all the benefits, but you don't do anything for CCP. The other thing is that you do all the evil things, but you do not get the money from the CCP. That's also not against this anti-infiltration law, because you're evil if it is unlawful that you will be penalized by, the, by those laws, but it will be not caught by this anti-infiltration regime. Only when you have both features, you take and then do, then this will be caught by this regime. And that's have a very clear definition in the law itself. It is not so vaguely defined. So when you look back, all these claims by those people are really doing similar things like when you see the China Daily. They say they will protest by shutting down one day, not to publicize any newspaper on one day. Because they have the key suspect, key suspicion as to what they have done is against this law. If they really, if and only if they really take the instruction from a CCP regime or get the money or funding from the CCP regime, they will be caught. So no overstatement of this kind of legislation uh, will be valid. Only one thing that the Taiwan people will need to know is that this anti-infiltration law, this legislation, is good for the Taiwan people. And many Hong Kongers this time comes to Taiwan to observe, the, to witness this re-election, is to make sure that and to investigate how the Taiwanese people will feel about this law. And the point is that they also learn from the Taiwanese how they can do in Hong Kong to really investigate on those people who are really against this kind of concept. Of course, the, the Hong Kong, it is hard to pass a law like this because the Legislative Council is now dominated by some pro-establishment power. But the Hong Kong pro-democracy camp really wants to learn from this anti-infiltration legislation how they can do something in Hong Kong in similar. So I think this cross-learning is coming into play nowadays in Hong Kong and Taiwan. There's a lot of people that are looking for some guidance in how to vote or what they should vote for. 
Do you have any suggestions for Taiwan's youth? Furthermore, who will you be voting for? And also, what are some of the considerations you would make when choosing a party? Vote for those party who can really secure your own freedom and also liberty, freedom from fear, preserving the independent status of Taiwan. I think that's the key that they need to look upon is if you make a suggestion is that like what Winston Churchill has said many years ago, democracy is not the choice of choosing the best. Democracy is only the least worst regime in the world. And then you can see nowadays you need to choose from those parties who will be having the fewest drawbacks. And these pan-blue parties are really more tied with China and their cultural values rather than the universal values that we are embracing. So we are living with other choices like uh, uh, leftist parties. But the point is, whether you vote for them or not, whether this kind of pan-green campaign can be a stable force in the legislative UN. I'm also a voter in Taiwan. If I vote, I will vote for Tsai Ing-wen and also vote for DPP in the legislative UN to make sure that DPP will have a stable majority in the legislature. For Tsai Ing-wen, I think that she should stay in the place for certain, uh, for four more years. Of course, if you ask me whether she has any drawbacks in her own policy, there is. But the key is how you can strengthen the relationship with the key democratic powers in the world, like the US, like Canada, like the EU, how they can side together even with an oceanic cultural India, her own mind to really side with that. I think his, her turn and his, her very good turn came only very lately, starting from the start of last year, when Xi Jinping announced the five points. And then she liked uh, a windfall on her own ground, and then she become very, very clear on, his own, on her own values. But before that, many things are quite um, are not very satisfactory. So for me, I think the key is to focus on the authoritarian regime of China and to stop the infiltration of China factor into Taiwan. I think that's the key uh, about what she, she needs to perform. Doctor, what are your suggestions for some of the young people considering partaking in this upcoming election? I think for the young people, they are, especially those who are voting for the first time, they need to really vote carefully in a well-informed manner. What happened in China, the States, Hong Kong and Taiwan, how the people have performed, have a well-informed decision before they do and also they need to vote because many youngsters are having finals exams maybe on the 12th or 13th of January but the voting day is on the 11th of January and it will be a hassle when they need to rush back home to vote and then rush back to the school to take the exams right so at all costs I think we need to vote voting is meaning that you are one member of civil society you are an active member in a civil society and that's the key of keeping the, the society in a active and also dynamic manner. So young people, uh, watch how the Hong, Hong Kong young people really, really have performed. Think about it. If you do not want to be one of them fighting in the streets, better now 
to take some preventive measure before it becomes too late. Doc, you've been very informative, but do you have any additional messages for our listeners? 11th of January is the key election day for Taiwan. Don't miss it. You miss it, then when you look back in the future, I would definitely say you regret. Hong Kongers do not have a genuine right to vote for their own leaders. And that's what they are fighting hard for your freedom. If you do not want to fight hard for your freedom in the future, do not want your young generations to fight hard for their own freedom in the future, vote and vote diligently, brilliantly, carefully. That's what I can say. All right, that's awesome. But what about for those that want to follow you on social media? Where do they go? I am a user of Facebook. So when you have Sangpu2, S-A-N-G-P-U-2, two is the number two. Uh, so you can find my Facebook. I think that's the key message that I can get. You can send any uh, uh, kind of uh, personal message to me then I can re reply to you very easily. Twitter is Sangpu15, so you can also uh, S-A-N-G-P-U-1-5, so you can find me by logging into this name. All right, Doctor, thank you for sharing so much information with us. It's been great. Again, thank you. Thank you. This has been brought to you by the Taiwan Report. For more content like this, become our patron at report.tw.